All righty then. We are in the book of Acts. We're starting at uh, chapter 5. The book of Acts is the history of the early church as they uh, started out. We're glad that you're all here tonight, by the way. And as one of those who joined us by video and over in Stevens Point uh, with our Bible study. Um, on Wednesday nights, we take a book of the Bible. We go through it one verse at a time. We encourage people to actually bring your Bibles with you so you can follow along and stuff. You'll also see it up on the screen, but uh, kind of good to just kind of follow along and see what you can learn. Now, <clears throat> where are we at? The, 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 Jesus has gone into heaven. He tells the, the apostles, wait, don't go anywhere. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come and then go everywhere. And uh, so the Holy Spirit comes and they just have this incredible empowering and Peter preaches his first sermon and, you know, thousands of people get saved. And then uh, last week we read of this miracle where they saw this guy sitting by, by the gate and going into the temple and they tell him in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Silver and gold have I none, they said. The guy was asking for money. He said, we don't have any money, but what we have we give you. Uh, it reminds me of a, a story that's told, I don't know if it's really true or not, but some centuries later in Christianity, when they were building the big churches and they had all this money, and one guy, uh, cardinal or whatever, took somebody into uh, the treasure room and made the comment, he says, well, I guess we can't say silver and gold, have we none anymore? And the other guy said, yeah, but neither can we say in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, you know. And uh, I'll tell you, I'd rather take the latter than the former. And uh, But the power of God is just all of a sudden, boom, this incredible miracle. And uh, so the leaders of, the, of, of Israel at this time, of course, they were behind getting Jesus crucified. And now they're freaking out because they're all going around saying Jesus is raised from the dead and everything's going great. And people are, are getting saved and miracles are starting to happen and it's, it's freaking them out. And, and threatened them uh, not to teach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, well, look, you know, you're going to have to decide whether we're going to obey God or man. You know, we're, we can, we've got to speak what we've seen and heard. You, you might say it's against the law for you, but we, we've got to obey God more than what you're saying. So um, then, then uh, at, at verse 32 in chapter 4, we, we read again how all the believers were of one accord. And they were all sharing everything and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And then we pick it up. At chapter 5, okay? Okay, 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 okay. Now check this out. So, now, remember, now, now the, the environment here is everybody's sharing everything, and they're all, you know, uh, one accord, and basically got this big, gigantic, I don't know if it's a commune, you know what the deal is there, but nobody claimed they had anything. They were all selling stuff, supporting. They all put the money together so that they could all have all the needs met. Um, again, I've shared this with you, but I think the reason they were doing this is because they really thought Jesus was, like, coming right back. So, who needs anything? So anyway, so a, a, a man named Ananias, this is a wild story, by the way, as we get into this, you're, you're going to watch how these, how these disciples are transformed from these really weak, insecure, unsure people into these incredible Jedi Knights. I mean, these guys are doing stuff that takes movies to pull off today, I'm telling you, it's, it's amazing. But anyway, so anyway, Ananias together with his wife Sapphira. So we're going to read about Ananias and Sapphira here. They also sold a piece of property. Now with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself 
some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? So it was yours to start with. And after, after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Well, you sold it, you had the money, you could do whatever you want. What really got him in trouble is they came claiming that they had given it all to the church. So the environment here is so many people are being so committed and, and there's this environment of, wow, we're, just, we're giving everything to Jesus. Well, these guys kind of wanted in on that and they wanted some of the credit and stuff. So they sold a piece of land, let's say for 100,000, but told everybody, you know, look, uh, we, we sold the land for, for 80 grand and we're excited and we're giving all 80 to the church. Well, in fact, that they sold it for the hundred. Now remember, he says when it was used, you could have done whatever you wanted. There was no requirement for them to do this. They were doing it all his own. What got them in trouble wasn't the fact that they didn't just give everything. They weren't under that kind of pressure. What got them into trouble is they were lying. They were trying to create this, in, this impression that they were sacrificing as much as everybody else. And they wanted to be under that kind of uh, environment. What a cool environment. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if people were... Under such pressure on here, they wanted to keep giving more money than the next guy. And I want to give more than the other guy. If you ever feel like, bring it on. But, uh, <laughs> but what got him in trouble is, again, that they wanted to be in on this and they were lying. Let, thinking that it was sold for more than they wanted it was because they kept some for themselves. Uh, he says, anyway, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but God. So right away, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter knew that he had been lying. That he was putting on a pretense. Just for approval of others. He said, what are you doing, man? You're not lying to us. You're lying to God. Well, check what happens. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. So he's talking to him, and all of a sudden the guy goes, and he drops. Just like that. And the verse says, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. I'll bet. You start coming forward for prayer and you start dropping dead. You're going to think twice before you come have me pray for you. All right. So all of a sudden they hear what had happened. Holy cow. Did you hear what happened? They came and I guess he didn't really sell it for 80. He sold it for 100 grand. He just dropped dead right on the spot. Well, then the young man came, young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. All right. Good job for the young guys. Now, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Well, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Because she was in on the lie. Again, keep in mind, they didn't have to do this. He said you didn't have to do it. And even after you sold it, you could have done whatever you wanted with the money. What gets in trouble is the lying. So when she come in, came in and then she also lied in front of Peter, Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they're going to carry you out too. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Holy cow! These guys were really strict. Man alive, you start dropping dead in church, you know something's happening. I mean, so, so, when the, so then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out. They had a busy day. And, uh, and buried her by her husband. And great fear seized the whole church. How bad it did! 
And all those who heard about it, it freaked them out. And what was freaking them out is, man, don't be lying. Don't be pretending you're something when you're not. Don't be doing this whole game thing. I dare say that if this same kind of stuff was happening today and people who are playing games with God were dropping dead, the young men in our church would be very busy (laughs) carrying people out. Don't be playing games with God. Be who you are. Say, well, a lot of people don't want to show who they are. You know, well, you, you can show who you are and we'll pray for you and work you through it. Well, we're just not into games, you know, people pretending they're more spiritual than they really are. And, you know, and scream and yell at your wife all the way from the house until the moment you walk in the door. And then you smile. How you doing? Oh, great, 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 great. You liar. Just yell at your wife the whole time. Anyway, so anyway, it goes on. It says, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. So this is where all the guys would come. They'd come into the temple. All the Christians would come and they would worship in the temple there. Uh, Now, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result... People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Wow. I mean, so miracles are like, are going like crazy here. People are getting saved, people are getting healed and everybody hears about it and they're just hoping that if I bring my sick grandma or something, like if Peter's shadow would just fall on her, then she would be healed. I mean, that's a lot of power going on. It says, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, when you read this, I, I don't know about you guys, but I read this and I go, wow, why don't we see stuff like that today? How come we're not experiencing Stuff like that today. Uh, there are some who teach and, and believe that, well, you know, the miracles were just necessary in the beginning of Christianity. And now it's not necessary because we have the Bible and we have Christian traditions and blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, I, I, they can believe that as they want. I don't think that's what it is. I think we need miracles as much today as ever. <laughs> I still think we need all this stuff. Uh, I think what really makes a difference is an, is an atmosphere of faith. When people start creating an atmosphere of faith, it's contagious. And, and it starts raising everyone's faith. And when everyone's faith gets raised, more and more miracles occur. And, and the power of God is, is just uh, more displayed. And it's a fascinating thing. Um, you have to remember now. John the Baptist had come to what? Prepare the way of the Lord. So he came and got everything ready. And then Jesus comes and does all these miracles. This is just like months after all this had happened. Jesus had been for three years doing all these credible miracles. People were seeing stuff, hearing stuff. What does that do? That just raises everybody's expectations. Everybody just, you know, whether you believe in Jesus or not, they know one thing, that you come and get prayed, stuff happens. And their faith just would increase. And then Jesus gets crucified and then these guys come along and they're doing miracles as well. 
And it's like not ending. And I just think in an atmosphere like this, these people now had been years of experiencing great and mighty and incredible things. And these guys were experiencing this. Um, And when you're faith, Jesus said, nothing is impossible to him that believes. You say, well, then how come I'm not getting my impossible? Well, other than, you know, maybe God's got a different plan for you. We have to at least acknowledge the fact that we lack that kind of faith to get the miracles we need. Now, that's not to make people feel badly. I have the same struggles. I mean, I need to grow in my faith. We all need to grow in in our faith. Um, That's why I encourage people, you know, start trusting God early on in your Christian faith and expect God to do things. And and the more he does miracles in your life and answers prayer, it's like you keep getting ratcheted up a notch. You know what I'm talking about? To where you start experiencing some really cool things and and, and on and on and on. Um, Of course, the struggle again is the miracles usually come when you need a miracle. Sadly, instead of letting people use miracle opportunities to help them grow in their faith, they freak out and they cry and they get mad at God because they need a miracle. How come this happened to me? I don't know why this happened. And instead of realizing, I, here's an opportunity for me to step it up, uh, we get pulled down. And uh, anyway, because, because we don't see this stuff as much anymore, I think most people's faith level is pretty low. Most people come to church pretty skeptical. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I do know this, that um, at times when you read of other great miracles, uh, outpourings of the holy spirit throughout church history we call them revivals you know um you know uh, when when everybody's faith just started getting raised like crazy all kinds of stuff when you read these these times of history it's amazing how it's not like god changed you know it's we who changed all of a sudden people get in, in a spirit of revival everyone's expectation goes up and people are experiencing and then boom boom all these cool things start happening again then we get away from that and we kind of get back down to who we are and, and uh, it's all it's all in response, I believe, to our level of faith. We need to encourage our, each other to trust God. And, and, and as a church, we want to keep growing in faith. We're not at these levels. But uh, I don't think God has changed one whit. I think were we to be at the same level as these guys were, we too would see incredible mind-blowing things. I think we can grow in our faith and I think we can continue to experience great things and, and we're encouraging that in our congregation. Let's grow together. Man, 10 years from now, I want to see cooler things than we're seeing now. And I'll see greater miracles in 20 years than we're seeing now. You know, if we're really growing in our faith and in our Christianity. But that's what happens when you are in a state of nothing is impossible. Wow. You know, a lot of times, you know, you just challenge people in their own lives. You know, what... And you guys, even there, right now, let me, let me ask you. If money were not an issue, what would you do with your life? If there were no obstacles, what would you do with your life? You know, and you think, wow, well, if that wasn't the case, I'd be doing something different. Or I'd maybe do this, you know. And the reality is, if you start backing, backtracking, the reason where we're stuck, where a lot of us are, is because we just believe we don't have the resources. We don't think we can. We just don't think we can. We don't have a lot of faith. Some of you were raised in families. God bless you. And I feel sorry for you that, you know, they yelled at you all the time. You're a loser. You're an idiot. You're a nothing. You'll never be anything. You're rah, 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 rah. Oh, my goodness gracious. So you, you come out of life and you hear that voice constantly yelling at you. And it's hard to really experience much in your own personal life. You know, talk about the opposite of faith. 
Um, these things we are often withheld in our just on our personal careers and our lives experiences based on what our expectations are what we believe is possible we just don't think it's possible so we don't reach further that's really what holds us back the people who seem to succeed the most in life uh, are stubborn in their belief that anything is possible and they're too dumb to realize that failure means they should quit are you hearing me and there are people who have made uh, uh, astronomical amounts of money in business, but who many of them went through failure after failure after failure after failure. And when most of us would have given up the first time around, these guys don't quit. It's like, hello, dummy, give up already. But they don't quit. Uh, remember that guy from Australia who came here, I must have been eight, ten years ago, um, and spoke to the congregation. He's like one of the richest men in the world. And he told his stories of how he would go along and then he had a business fail and he'd lose like $10 million. And the second time around, you know, he lost like $20 million. Third time around, he lost tens and tens of millions. I'm thinking, I think I would have hung out after the $10 million. I mean, really, a lot of us, if we would have went into something and lost 50 grand, you'd be devastated for life. I'll never do that again. I'll never risk anything else again. I'll cost me 50 grand. If I had that 50 grand right now, I'd be driving a better car. And I have a big screen TV. I can't believe I lost 50,000. I'll never risk anything again. That is the way the majority of people think. I promise you. The majority of you think this way. I know this. I'm not going to risk it. I'll risk something once. I, yeah, I, I, that guy still owes me 10 bucks. <laughs> Can you imagine losing $10 million? And then getting up and doing it again? And losing another 10 to 20 million dollars? <laughs> I wonder, who gave this guy another 10 to 20 million? <laughs> Would you invest with a guy who just lost 10 million dollars? I think I'd pass on that one. This guy had gone and convinced other people to give him more money. Go and he'd blow it again. It wasn't until like his fourth time that bingo, he hits it. And he's one of the wealthiest men in the world today. And he's just like, how do you do that? Because he was too stupid to realize... you. Failure doesn't mean anything. He had low limitations in his mind. He believed his dreams more than his reality. His dream says, I can do anything. His reality said, you suck. (laughs) Sadly, most of us do not believe our dreams. We doubt our dreams and believe our reality. Well, the dream said, well, it can't be true because I suck. It didn't work. My life doesn't work. So my life's got to stay here. We doubt our dreams. People who succeed, they do the opposite. They ignore their reality and they believe their dreams. And they keep pressing in spite of failures and setbacks and everything else like that. Well, the same thing is true in faith. Most of us don't really see the potential in God. We're more convinced by what we've experienced and what we see around us. Now, And that's pretty much a normal thing. Now, you have to understand, if you're in an environment where everybody has this kind of an experience, well, it's easier to have a lot of faith. That's why all these guys kept seeing all these incredible miracles. Everybody was, you know, oh, you got, you got your legs straight out? Yeah, me too. The other guy, I had a, I had a broken arm and it fell together. It was fabulous, you know. So, so, because everybody was experiencing this stuff. And they weren't even all believers. People would get healed, weren't even saved. They just, you know, go hang around them Christians. You feel a lot better. But eventually people more and more, you know, was affecting the way their hearts were and they kept getting saved. So, so anyway, that's why a lot of this stuff happened then, why it doesn't happen so much now. And, and we've seen that up and down throughout Christian history. Hopefully we'll be on an upswing here.
Hallelujah. Okay, so anyway, so all these cool things are happening. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. People are going nuts. And then the uh, high priest, in, in, in verse 7, the high priest with all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Well, yeah, jealous of what? Well, everybody's thinking, Peter's cool. Nobody's trying to catch my shadow. <laughs> Nobody thinks, I'm cool. You know, so, so all this attention and stuff, and, and all of a sudden... They, they, they're being lifted up in the eyes of the people and these guys felt jealous. These guys were more, they did not care one whit about anybody's life being changed. All they cared about was themselves and about their religions and their traditions. And I'll tell you, there's people like that today, still to this day. There are more people, they could have a miracle right in front of their nose and they tell, well, I'm sorry, we don't do that at our church. And at my church, we just believe this and I don't care another <laughs> Man, these guys were just jealousy, whatever they could think of. Guys, a miracle. We just read about the, the previous guy miracle when they all got pulled in by the Pharisees and stuff. And uh, this guy, since birth, had been lame. And all of a sudden, he's jumping and running around and stuff like that. And they were bummed out because they couldn't disprove it. But they couldn't disprove it. Instead of going, wow, look what God can do. They, they just couldn't see past their own experience. Anyway, they were filled with je- jealousy. So they went out and arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, and I love this. This is Jedi night stuff, okay? <laughs> so these guys are in jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and let them out. And, and <laughs> what happens, we're going to find out more details in a minute. They're in jail. They're chained up, okay? There are guards and stuff all there. Apparently, this angel lets them out and they walk past all the guards and everybody and nobody sees them. And I mean like, wow! How cool that had to be. So, so he brought them out and, and then he said, well, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. So, they'd been arrested, thrown in jail, angel comes in and says, ah, get out of there. And then tells them to go back in and do the same thing. But I love this next part. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. So they're out there preaching, having a great time. Well, the high priest and his associates arrived. They're going to have this trial. And they called together the Sanhedrin, all the religious men, all and the full assembly of the elders, all these spiritual people. And then they sent for the jail to get the apostles. So the whole time they're pulling everything together, the apostles aren't even there. They're out preaching, doing the very thing they arrested them for in the first place. So they go send them to justice. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, look, we found the jail securely locked. And the guards were standing at the doors. But when we opened it, there was nobody inside. Now you would think, holy cow, would that not impress you? That would, I would be very, if I throw you in jail and next day you're gone, but the jail and everything's still locked, I would be very impressed. And I think I would listen to you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Forgive me for arresting you. I think I could have been a little hasty. (laughs) I'm really sorry about that. Well, see, he's got, and hearing this report, the captain and the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled. I'll bet. Wondering what could come of this. Then someone comes in and says, hey, look, 
The guys you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Again, I'd be very impressed. Well, at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. Like They brought them this time. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Well, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before, before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Now, check this out. <laughs> they bring them in and then the high priest right away starts complaining, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Now honestly, if this had been me, and I called them in, the first question I would ask them is, how did you do that? (laughs) I mean, come on! This is like, wow! But these guys were so incensed, so anti-Christ, so against this message of Jesus, That they could have stuff like this happen right in front of them. And they were thick as bricks. Couldn't see a thing. I'd say, man, do you know David Copperfield? How did you do that? He said, we told you not to teach and preach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. (laughs) I wonder why. They are the ones who got everybody yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They were guilty. Well, then Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. In other words, we heard your threats. We heard your decrees. We're not listening to you. God's law trumps man's law all the time. Now, if there is no conflict, then the Bible teaches us we must obey man's law. But when there is a conflict between men's laws and God's laws, we are to obey God rather than men. Thankfully, we're not really put in that situation uh, in in the United States of America, at least not today. But uh, in parts of the world, this happens and you have to make a choice. Well, anyway, he says we've got to obey God rather than men. And, uh, And then he starts preaching. He says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. That's what God thought of Jesus. You had him killed by hanging him on a tree. That's what they referred to crucifixion, hanging on a tree, not... All right. So God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Well, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. These guys were just seriously out of control. Well, then a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Now, you'll hear that sometimes in church history. But Gamaliel was this guy. He was a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people. Uh, Stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Didn't Paul study under Gamaliel? Does anybody know that? Some brilliant scholars out there? I think so, yeah. Anyway, when he cons- so he told the guys, get these guys out of here, let me talk. I'm, I'm Gamaliel, I'm a smart old guy here. <clears throat> and then he addressed them and said, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and his followers were dispersed. 
And it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean. Now he's talking about recent history in their time. He said, in our lifetime there was this guy named, you know, Theodos. And he comes up and he has some followers. When he died, everybody scattered. And then there was, remember Judas the Galilean. He appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. As did these previous. That's his point. These guys tried something, it was nothing. These guys tried something, nothing. These were men, they were nothing. So let these guys go. If, 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 if it's just their own energy, this will all account to nothing. But if this is from God, the first guy, the first guy, he had to still be thinking, how did you do that? He says, man, if this guy, he says, but if this is from God... You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Well, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Ow. Ow. Man, I hate just scratching my elbow. You know, scratches really hurt. (laughs) You know, I hate pain. These guys were flogged for doing what? What was the big violation here? Well, they told them to quit preaching. They didn't quit preaching. So they haven't flogged. Now, if you remember back in those days, flogging was not a pleasant deal. Her backs ripped open in a painful exercise of punishment. So their idea of letting these guys go was to beat the snot out of them before they let them go. A lot of us right there would have collapsed. God, where are you, God? You're supposed to bless me. I said twenty dollars to that evangelist on TV. This isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, crying bitterly and brokenhearted because their prayers had not been answered, and they got beat up when they shouldn't have gotten beat up, but blessed instead. And they cried for days and days and days and days. Is that what it says? You have a different verse than I got. Different translation. The apostles left after getting the snot kicked out of them. Rejoicing. The the world, seriously, the world does not understand Christianity. Not true Christianity. They like the religious Christianity. You know, just do good things. We think it's great. But the real Christianity that celebrates God in their lives. Who in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of everything going wrong. These people are going, woohoo! What a great day! Blood had to be all over them. Probably had a hard time standing after what they just went through. But they left rejoicing. Oh man! How do you get there? Rejoicing, why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I dare say millions of people, if they had to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus, would quickly abandon Jesus. But they continued day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. All right, now, chapter 6. Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, 
the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Okay, trouble and paradise. The honeymoon's starting to wear off. We're all having this great commune thing going for a while. And now they're getting on each other's nerves. <laughs> and they start fighting because the Greek uh, Jews were saying the Hebrew Jews uh, weren't being fair in distributing food to the uh, widows and they start fighting and rah, rah, you know they start getting into a, a culture thing. So the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples together and said, look, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, it almost sounds like they're being very demeaning to what these guys are going through. Uh, but it, I'm sure it was a big deal to them. I mean, it would be like if all of you people on the this side of the church got really ticked off at all the people on this side of the church. Because these guys are jerks, all right? And, and they're mad at you because you're bigger jerks than they are. And, and we got this problem in the church. We got to stop because something isn't happening. And I don't like the way the greeters are shaking our hands out in front. Or, or I don't like the way they, they chicken the kids. Or whatever the deal is. You know, I, I keep getting grape juice. I want wine. Or whatever the complaint is. All right. And sometimes even the smallest of things can seem huge when it's you. Let's face it. When something irritates us, it upsets us. And even though it's little and stuff, you know. Uh, so, and it sounds for a minute like they're being, you know, look, it's not right for us to wait on tables. Now, in all fairness, there was an inequity going on here. It wasn't fair. The Grecian uh, widows were not being treated with the same respect as, as the Hebrew widows. And this isn't fair. And, and so, but what they said, look, it's not right that we quit ministering in the word of God to deal with these details of the church. Okay? So, uh, considering on, he said, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. So he, they weren't neglecting it. They just said, look, it's not right that we should do it. What they're saying is, look, God has called us to minister in the word. We are going to give ourselves to, to prayer and just preaching and teaching the word of God. And when it comes to the details, let's get some other guys to handle the details. Now, these were still very, very spiritual men and women. Okay? And women, as we see later on. But these were very spiritual men. He said, we'll turn this responsibility to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, it's this argument that they give here is one of the reasons that we structure Celebration Church the way that we do, which is really different than most churches. And I get that. We're different in a lot of ways. <laughs> Just having me around makes us different. But <laughs> your church is a little strange. <laughs> yeah, look who's running it. But, uh, but one of the things that makes us different, a typical church, the pastor is very much involved in all the details of the church and the administration of the church and making sure the Grecian widows are not ignored over the Hebrew widows and that kind of stuff. The problem with that is it tends to pull them away from the ministry of the word. 
and their ministries suffer and they don't have the power and effectiveness to, to teach in the word. And now what we do and has, have always done since, since I left here and, and the way we ran it over in Stevens Point and stuff like that is I've had other men and women who deal with the details of the church as much as possible. And I try to give myself as much as possible more to just the speaking and the teaching and the preaching that I do. Okay, I think it's a win for everybody when we do it that way. But it's just different. Uh, and, uh, you know, oftentimes when I'm on the road, people ask me, uh, you know, so, so how, how do you do what you do? How do you run a church and still minister to couples and just preach and stuff and all the places that you do and, and still preach on Sunday mornings? How do you do that? How do you run the church and do all that? And I always answer, because I don't run the church. I don't deal with the little details. Of, and even the big details. Uh, I, know, I know a lot of people have a hard time grasping that. I think most of you got it by now. But, uh, you know, come and ask me about something that's going around here. <laughs> and see what I say to you. I'll go, we're doing that? Really? I didn't know we were doing that. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what goes on in the details. I don't know exactly how things are happening. I don't know what exactly everybody's doing in the rest of the building tonight <laughs> i really don't <laughs> i got a vague idea little kids there little ones there and the bigger ones on the end i mean i got that down you know exactly how it all runs and stuff like that well who runs that stuff we got pastor lathan we got pastor mary we got gary you know all these people help run this thing and it's not that those details are not important how you're handled and how your concerns are answered and how the kids are checked in and out and all that sort of stuff but it's not right that you come to me and pull me into that stuff because it pulls me away from this so we have that's why we run the church the way that we run it so anyway I don't know if you cared but now you know all right (laughs) I, I try to just give myself pretty much just to the ministry of the word. And, and even still, I, I let myself get pulled into too many details. When I do it, it tends to suck the life out of me, quite frankly. And then I got to pull myself back out and just go, and, and stay out of it because I just, um, now that's not to say I don't have final, I mean, the, the buck still stops with me. I mean, I have final say over everything. You know, if, if there's something that's being done or not being done, you can point the finger to me or ask me about it and then I'll find out for you about how to get the answer and maybe how to address a problem. And it is my responsibility. It's not that I'm not responsible. I still have the final say. I just don't know the exact details. I will say, let's have a successful children's program. Good. Go make it happen. So someone, you know, someone else actually works, you know, but we do what we do because I want it to happen. I just don't know all the details that are involved in it. So I'm, I'm not trying to hide from responsibility. It all stops right here. And I can accept that. Okay. Uh, and that's fine. I, I do, I, I, I kind of got like gigantic veto power over everything that goes on around here. But in terms of actually getting out there and making it happen, I, I, I try to stay out of all that. Okay, so anyway, this, propo- this proposal of get other guys to deal with these issues, important that they may be, but are, would be distracting to us, they, uh, this idea pleased the whole group. So they started choosing some guys. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, also Philip, Prochorus, Nacanor, I don't know how you pronounce all these, Timon, Parmenius, uh, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So uh, even though it was still what the apostles called waiting on tables, 
they realized it was still important to the church. And they didn't just get anybody to do it. They got men that were full of the spirit, full of wisdom, responsible guys that everybody respected. And they laid hands on them and they anointed them. And uh, these guys became what the Bible refers to or, or church history refers to as the first deacons of the church who were very, very spiritual men. Now, so, this little problem then got solved. And now there's a sense of justice. Now there's a sense now, as the, remember, Christianity is brand new. They didn't have any systems. Well, now they found a way. It doesn't always have to be on the pastor, whoever, to fix everything. Now there's, there's another layer of people that they try and fix these things and respond to these things. So it says, The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a number of the priests became obedient to the faith. That was pretty cool. Some of these priests started getting saved. So now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Now check it out. See, it wasn't just confined to the apostles. At this point, if we, if we hadn't read that verse, at this point it would be easy to assume this stuff was just for the apostles. It was just the apostles who did all these cool miracles. It was, they were special, holy people. They'd been with Jesus, and that's why they had... But wait a minute. Now we see Stephen, the guy who was in charge of the tables. A guy who was in charge of just the details of the church. is full of what? God's grace and power. And he starts doing Great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Why? Again, because the standard of their experience, instead of being here, was like way up here. And then their faith could soar. You know, there was such an environment of miracles and faith. Man, this guy just stepped in and just a regular guy now starts doing great miracles. Well, opposition, however, arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as provinces of provinces of Cilicia and Asia. And these men began to argue with Stephen. So Stephen's doing all these great things. These uh, guys start getting a big argument with him. But they could not stand up under against his wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. This guy was just, wow, this is amazing. Here, who is this guy? Now he's doing miracles. Now he's preaching. Now he's teaching. Oh, we disagree with him. Rah! So he gets in a big fight with these, with, with these guys. Uh, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, Hey, we heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. And they seized Stephen now and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And they produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the custom of Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel here's a guy who's under intense scrutiny now now he's getting pulled in and being questioned and the heat is on he's been arrested and now he has to answer and you would think again the guy would be fearful that he would be petrified I mean, the last bunch of guys got the snot kicked out of them, flogged, and ouch, now it's going to be my turn, and, and I could be in trouble now, and, and some sense of fear or, or nervousness would have come upon him, but not one whit. This guy was so confident, so at peace, the Holy Spirit just buzzing on the guys. He's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and they looked at him as ticked off as they were, and thought, 
He's got the face of an angel. The guy's face is just glowing because he is just radiating the presence and the glory of God. Wow, how cool is that? So then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? And then he begins to preach <laughs> pretty much the whole Bible to them. And we're going to read through this. And uh, we'll get started here a little bit. And then we'll pick it up again next week. It's, you know, I don't know if it's because it was first sermon. <laughs> you ever have a guy, when you first preach, you're either done in two seconds or it takes you an hour and a half to say hello. You know, and uh, <clears throat> Stephen was excited at his first opportunity to preach. And he rambles on and he starts at the beginning and starts preaching to them the whole Jewish history up to this point. Which you and I are going to have the joy of reading together. Okay. Now it's, it's fairly abbreviated. So it's not that bad. But it's, it's, it is what it is. So he starts preaching. Here we go. Brothers and fathers. Listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. While he was still in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran. Leave your country. God told to Abraham. And your people. God said. And go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans. And settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living, which is now in Israel. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at the time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. In this way, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, but will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, which is exactly what happened. They wound up in Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years before Moses comes. These guys all know this stuff. They know this stuff forward and backwards, but he's rehearsing all of this to them. Uh, And then uh, he said this to God. uh, God told him this, but I will punish the nation. They serve as slaves, God said, which is eventually what happened uh, when he came against Pharaoh. He says, afterward, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, which is cutting off the end of your and, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Who are the 12 Patriarchs. What are all these terms? Uh, Jacob was the father of these 12 men who became what they referred to as the patriarchs, or sometimes they would refer to them as their fathers, but these were the 12 tribes of Israel. You wonder where the 12 tribes of Israel come from? It comes from Jacob's sons. Jacob has 12 sons. They become the patriarchs of this mighty nation. All right? Now, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph... Continuing on and jumping around further along in the Bible. Uh, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. Do you remember that story? If, if, if you haven't read this stuff, it's fascinating stuff. But uh, all of Joseph's brother, the 11, couldn't stand the little squirrel, Joseph. Because he was Papa's favorite. And God would give him visions and dreams. And Joseph would kind of rub their faces in it, you know. So, I don't know if you've ever had a little brother that you just want to beat up on all the time. You know, mine would have been Edwin. That we, <laughs> we love beating up on Eddie. There's just something about him that says, punch me. And uh, 
you know, <laughs> so, you know, everybody's got this brother. If you come from a large family, there's always one that you just want to punch all the time, you know. Well, these guys always wanted to punch Joseph because he was a big, fat, stinking jerk. And he would keep, God told me someday you're all going to bow down to me. Woo-hoo-hoo. This is not how you win friends and influence people. <laughs> and they got so tired of the little, little snot that they decided they were going to kill him. And at the last minute, one of the brothers persuaded him, ah, let's not kill him. That's going a little severe. Let's just sell him as a slave. Thanks, brother. <laughs> so they sell him off as a slave and tell daddy that he was killed. And brought his the coat of many colors. Remember the coat of many colors? And because uh, Papa liked him the best and gave him this real fancy coat. Well, they took, I don't know what, some animal's blood and poured it all over it, sold off Joseph, and comes to dad and said, look, we found him, a, you know, lion or something, ate him, and dad was devastated. But they got rid of Joseph. So they sold him as a slave in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. And he gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, he's really jumping ahead here. The story of Joseph we will look at someday, but it's fabulous. Again, if you've never read it, you need to read it, but talk about how God stays with you. Talk about a guy whose dream he believed more than his circumstances. Joseph was the guy. Here God had given him this dream of being so incredibly successful, yet his brothers hate him. He has this dream, but his experience is, we're going to kill you. He has this dream, well, we're going to kill you, we're sending you into slavery. And he goes into slavery, and, and he starts doing well again, and all of a sudden, the guy's wife that he's working for accuses him of, you know, trying to rape her, and now gets thrown into prison. I mean, this guy can't hardly get up before he gets knocked down again. And now he's in prison. Life stinks. But he can't let go of the dream. He's in prison, and, and every time he climbs up, he gets knocked back down again. And then he finds someone starts letting him out of prison, and eventually, Joseph rises up to the highest position in the land of Egypt. And the dream starts becoming a reality. Here's a guy had every reason in the world to give up, to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. This Obviously, this dream must have been bad pizza or something, because my, my experience is here. But again... Unlike most of us who look at our experiences and don't pay much attention to the dreams God puts in our hearts, here's a man who ignored this. He believed this. This is an an anomaly. When you start doubting your failures but believing your dreams, wow, that's life-changing. Sadly, most people believe their experiences and doubt their dreams. They don't really believe it's possible. This can't happen for me. That's when you stay squashed down. Oh my goodness, fabulous stuff. We're out of time. So anyway, we'll, we'll pick this up um, next week when he uh, continues preaching to all these men who know this stuff already. <laughs> the entire <laughs> mini history of the, uh, of the Jewish nation. And, uh, and then find out what happens to Stephen after his first sermon here. Not such a positive ending. Let's... Uh, have all the ushers come down uh, and get ready for our Wednesday night offering. Hallelujah. Our musicians coming back up. Lord, we thank you for your kindness, your grace, your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for, for your word, what we can learn from the word. Lord, help us to start experiencing more of you. Help the, the, 
a rising tide of the Holy Spirit start lifting everybody's experience so we can start experiencing greater faith to see greater moves of God. And Lord, every person in here, Lord, help us to start believing you and your dreams for us more than we believe our experiences. God, we know that with you all things are possible. We thank you for this time. Thank you. God bless these offerings, we pray, as we offer them up to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.